0: If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to Acts chapter 9. At this point, it should fall open to Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 9, verses 19 through 30 this morning. It has been a uh, fantastic week here at First Baptist Church. VBS week is one of my favorite weeks, not only because we get to hang out with kids all week and share Jesus with them and show them Jesus, but we get to see a picture of the church come together, uh, so many people who were here serving cookies Uh, teaching in classes, leading in missions, leading in worship, so many of you who provided cookies, and if you weren't here, I'm confident that you prayed for us this week, and and it worked. Uh, God was glorified, and uh, oh, by the way, we had one young lady, Anniston Hess, who received Christ as her Lord and Savior this Wednesday. Yes, give God a hand. And next Sunday, Aniston will be baptized, and so two weeks in a row with the baptism. To God be the glory, amen? Amen. And and in God's good providence, we find ourselves again in a passage of Scripture that speaks to us right where we are. New believers in Christ, you need to hear this message. Those of you who have been saved for some time, you need to hear this message. It is a message, a reminder of what happens As a result of our salvation. Now you're going to read in our three points. You're going to read that being saved by the Lord means. And by that what I mean is. When you are saved by the Lord. There are some results that happen in your life. Being saved by the Lord means that you have put your faith and trust in Christ. You have repented of your sin. And you have been saved. And as a result of that you will spend forever with him in heaven. But we're not in heaven yet. And so until we get there, there are some things that will happen in your life as you follow Christ. It was true for the Apostle Paul, who went by the name Saul in Acts chapter 9, and it'll be true for you. This morning, we're going to see three results of being saved by the Lord. Before we do this, I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, humble your hearts, and let's pray to the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you, Father, for baptism Thank you for worship. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that this morning we have been all about Jesus. God, I pray that as I preach, you would help me to preach exactly what you would have me to say. Not a word more and not a word less. I pray that as I preach, I preach for your glory alone. And God, I pray that you would do your work here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Three results of being saved by the Lord. First, being saved by the Lord means serving Him wherever you are. When you became a Christian, you were entered into the family of God. And when you became a Christian, that changed everything about your life. That was true for Saul and it's true for you. Consider last week. Last week we saw Saul who was... Headed to Damascus. And somebody help me out. What was Saul headed to Damascus to do? To persecute the church. He was headed to Damascus to destroy the church. He hated the church and he wanted to arrest those who were worshiping and bring them into jail. He was a monster, a murderer, and he was headed to the church to persecute the church. And on the way there, with one flash of heaven, everything changed about Saul's life. One flash from heaven, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? One flash from heaven, and Saul, the monster, became Saul, the missionary. One flash from heaven, and Saul, the persecutor, became Saul, the preacher. Jesus changed everything in Saul's life. And by the way, that's one reason why we want to highlight baptism here at First Baptist Church. Because baptism is important. It's not just baptism. It is your public profession of faith. Privately, you're saved. You're saved before you're baptized. And then you go to the baptistry and you proclaim publicly that I have put my faith and trust in Christ. Last week we saw Saul was baptized. He was saved on the road to Damascus. And three days later, he was baptized, and immediately he gets to work right where he is serving the Lord. Look in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. The Bible says this, Saul was with the the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Verse 22, But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a word I want you to circle in your Bible, highlight, underline. I want it to stand out for you. It's in verse 20. It's the word immediately. Do you see it? Saul was saved, Saul was baptized, and Saul immediately went to work serving Jesus right where he was in Damascus. And what was Saul's message? Verse 20, look in your Bibles. His message was this Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 22, Jesus is the Messiah. That is the gospel. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the only one who can save us from our sins. And Saul, according to the Bible, immediately went to work to spread the gospel. And you may say to yourself, good for Saul. I mean, Saul obviously had a gift of speaking. He had a gift of being a preacher. But I I ain't got that gift. So how can I immediately proclaim Jesus if I'm not a preacher? You serve right where you are. This week at VBS, we saw that. People proclaiming Jesus by serving cookies. People proclaiming Jesus by leading in worship. People proclaiming Jesus by reading stories to children. People proclaiming Jesus by praying that God would do a mighty work here. You serve right where you are with the gifts that God has given you. It is a beautiful thing to be a church, to be a part of a church that serves the Lord to the glory of God. Amen? The church is a beautiful picture of heaven. Or at least it should be. So when we gather here on Sundays, it is a picture of what heaven will look like. When we gather and worship our risen Savior. When we gather and we're going to hear preaching in heaven. Did you know that? It'll be a lot better preaching than what you hear today from me. But you're going to hear preaching in heaven. We're going to worship in heaven. We're going to praise Jesus in heaven we're gonna we're gonna serve in heaven Sunday is practice for heaven Sunday is a reminder that heaven awaits but Monday is a reminder that this place ain't heaven amen (laughs) and our job is to immediately get to work telling the world telling our neighbors telling our friends telling our family immediately get to work Showing the love of Jesus to them and sharing the love of Jesus with them. Sunday morning is a beautiful, beautiful reminder that heaven is real. I'll say say it again. I've said this before. Uh, Something special happens every Sunday morning when we gather here at First Baptist Moberly. It's nothing fancy. There's nothing fancy that we do, but there's something special that happens here every Sunday morning that you can't get at home, or you can't get... Uh, something special happens here. And that special thing is this, the manifest presence of God. God is here, and we worship Him with one voice, with unity. We worship our risen Savior, and He is, he is here. And you can sense that. Something special happens when we gather, and we should labor to tell the world about this beautiful, beautiful Jesus. Saul did that. And the question is, how did Saul labor? Well, look in your Bibles. Verse 22. The Bible says that Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by... What does the Bible say there? What does your Bible say? What's the word? Proving. By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. How many of you uh, love puzzles? Anybody love puzzles? I like kids' puzzles that are about ten pieces that I can put together together. The word for proving here, it's almost as though Saul is is putting a puzzle together. He's, He's piecing together the gospel. So what Saul is doing is he is taking the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And he's piecing it together so that those who he's talking to can see that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of the prophecies. That Jesus is... God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Bible says he was confounding them. They were confounded. They couldn't disprove him. He put together the puzzle, and by the end, there was this beautiful picture of the risen Savior, Jesus, that could not be denied. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Saul proved that Jesus was the Messiah by piecing together the puzzle for them. And you can do the same thing. You say, I don't have enough knowledge to tell people about Jesus. you got enough. You know the, if you know the Lord, you have enough yeah. to tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and why it matters. You don't have to have a PhD to be an evangelist. You just got to be willing. Yeah. You got to be willing to be used by God and put yourself out there. Willing to be used for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom. Being saved means serving Him wherever you are. But here comes the bad news. Are you ready for it? If you're ready for it, say, oh my. We're not all ready for it, are we? We don't like bad news, do we? Here's the bad news. Being saved by the Lord means opposition from the lost. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. Not everyone is going to like you. Not every day is going to be good. Not every good thing that you want to happen will happen. You're going to be ghosted by people. You know what it means to be ghosted by somebody? When when you're good friends with somebody and then suddenly they're just... They disappear from your life and you don't know why. Being saved means that that's going to happen to you. You'll be ghosted by people. You'll be rejected by people. Your kindness will be rejected by people. It will happen. It'll happen to every single one of you who name the name of Christ and you'll wonder why. You wonder why. Why is this happening? Why do bad things happen to us who follow the Lord? Why do these horrible things happen? Well, because being saved by the Lord means opposition from the lost. It means people are going to oppose you. The the sweet taste of the gospel to the believer is bitter fruit to the lost. They don't like the gospel, and they don't like the messengers of Christ. They're not going to like you. You will be hated because you know that getting past the bitter part of the gospel, the bitter part that says you are a sinner who needs to be saved, that you cannot save yourself. If you can get past that, there is a sweet fruit underneath. The salvation of our souls for all eternity. Paul faced major opposition, Saul faced major opposition. Even though he had pieced together this beautiful puzzle and had this picture proving that Jesus was who he said he was, he faced major opposition. Look in your Bibles. Verse 23. The Bible says, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. Why? Because he proved that Jesus is the Messiah. No other reason. They hated him and they wanted... To kill him. Now, if we cross reference the story with the book of Galatians, that Saul, who later became known as Paul, he wrote the book of Galatians. What we learn from Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, is the many days after many days had passed. That's actually a span of three years. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. It says this I did not go up, this is Paul writing, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia. Translation, the desert. And then I came back to Damascus. And then he says in verse 18, after three years, I finally went to Jerusalem. Three years he spent in the desert. The desert can be a lonely place. We talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? It can be a lonely place, but can I share with you that you all need, everyone needs time in the desert. I don't mean time in the physical desert, in the hot, arid climate. Sun beating down on you. What I mean is, you need time alone with the Lord. R. Kent Hughes says that, (laughs) that Saul got his doctorate of the desert in those three years. In those three years, he was prepared for ministry. He was prepared to come back and face attacks. He was prepared to prove who Jesus was. He was prepared in the desert. You need a desert place. A place where it's just you and the Lord where you can get away from the hustle and bustle, the daily grind, and you can get alone with the Lord and He can speak into your life. Look at what happened. Look again. Verse 23, After many days had passed, that's three years, the Jews conspired to kill Him. Bad news. (laughs) Look at verse 24. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill Him. But His disciples took Him by night and lowered Him into a large basket through an opening in the wall. My goodness gracious, what a turn of events has occurred in Saul's life over this short span of time. Last week, Saul was the Hebrew of Hebrews headed to Damascus to destroy the church, to persecute Christians. Saul the hater was now Saul the hated. And all because Saul placed his faith and hope and trust in Christ and he was... Saved. So what lesson do we draw from that? The same thing will happen to you. When you trust Christ, I guarantee it, you will be hated. And I'll go a step further. When you trust Christ, bad things will happen to you. And sometimes it won't be from a person. Sometimes life's events will be tragic. And when those bad things happen to you, you're going to be tempted to ask the question, Satan will tempt you, to ask the question, is God real? Because if he was real, why does all this bad stuff happen? If he's real, why must I suffer? If he's real, why did that horrible thing happen? And here's what I want to tell you. Don't you dare let Satan win. Don't you dare give in to that kind of thinking. I don't know where, where I saw this, but I watched a video the other day it was of a man and a woman, and uh, the, the woman was asking the man, older man, um, very distinguished looking, the opposite of me, because I'm very young, is that a horrible joke. We'll move on. This man and this woman were in a, in a room, and the man had obviously gone through some really horrible things, and the woman was asking him, how can you believe in God in spite of all of the horrible things that's happened to you? How can you still believe in God? And here was the man's response, something, something to this effect. I prayed that God would make me stronger, and he gave me really hard, really hard obstacles to overcome. I, I prayed that God would make me wiser, and he gave me really difficult problems to solve. I prayed that God would help me love, and he showed me just how difficult I am to love. So he goes on to say, God answered my prayers. He just didn't do it in the way I thought he would. And when I look at my own life, and I'm guessing when you look at your life, you say the same thing. God's answered our prayers. He just didn't do it the way I thought he would. I prayed that God would use our family in a huge way, in a massive way, in a way that we couldn't do on our own. And I gave him a blank check. Here's our family. Here's my life. Use me. I didn't think he was going to do it the way he did it. And we suffered and we hurt. We buried Grayson. That was hard. And yet God answered my prayer. Use us, Lord. Okay, I'll use you. But he does it in his way and not your way. And the question that you have to consider is, When you're going through these horrible times, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Because life hurts, doesn't it? Say amen if life hurts. Life hurts. Life is hard. Is he worth it? And I can tell you, for me and my family, the answer is an astounding yes. A hundred times over, a thousand times over, he is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth the pain we have to endure, the suffering we have to endure, the heartache we have to endure. He is worth it. And He is worthy of our praise, even in really hard times. Saul said this. Saul escaped from Damascus here in Acts 9, but he didn't always escape. He went through some really rough times. Let me just read to you his testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here, this is a real man, okay? This isn't like a, fict- a fictional character. This is a real man who suffered in real ways. Listen to how he suffered. Five times he said, I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Beaten with whips. 39 times. Hard whips. 39 times. Five times that happened to him. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst often without food, cold and without clothing. And he finishes to say, not to mention other things. There is a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Listen to me, Christian. If you are living for Jesus, expect that those kinds of things will happen to you. The world hates you. Expect that suffering will come. Expect it. And when it does, you show the world the love of Christ. You beam the glory of God to them. You show them that He is worth it. And how do you do that? You raise your hand in worship. You you keep on going. You keep on walking. You keep on moving. Was it worth it for Paul? Well, let me just read to you what he wrote in Philippians 3. He says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. And listen to this, this is from the Bible. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. For Saul, all of his accolades, all of those good things, he said it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Jesus is worth it. And I pray that I had that same kind of attitude. I pray you have that same kind of attitude. When you suffer, he is worth it. Remember, he is worth it. Being saved by the Lord means serving him wherever you are, It means opposition from the lost. And lastly, being saved by the Lord means serving him with the family of God. Three years has passed in the story of Saul. When he left Jerusalem, he was headed to destroy the church. So that means those who saw him last in Jerusalem, the things that they saw was him giving approval to the martyr of, of Stephen him high-fiving his buddies because Stephen had been killed. The last thing that they heard was that he was going to Damascus to destroy the church, to ravage like a wild beast the churches. That's what, he, that's what they heard. And now look at verse 26. Three years has passed. Verse 26 says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, so he's left Damascus, comes back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Since they did not believe he was a disciple. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It Makes a ton of sense. He left as a monster and now you're telling me he's a missionary? He left as a persecutor and now you're telling me he's a preacher? I don't know about this. We have kids who go to this church. We need to protect our flock, protect our congregation. What if this is just a, a ruse? What if he's just trying to get on the inside so he can take us all to jail? Those are the conversations that I'm sure were happening behind the scenes. And it makes total sense, does it not? Makes perfect sense. But then a man named Barnabas makes his appearance in the story again. The last time we saw Barnabas was Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And there, Barnabas had sold a field and taken all the money that he made from that field and brought it to the church and said, effectively, share the gospel. Here's all the money that I made. Barnabas was someone who In a very literal way, put his money where his mouth was. He is someone who lived out his faith. And in Acts 4.36, we read that Barnabas, when translated, means this son of encouragement. He encouraged in Acts chapter 4, and we're about to see him encourage again in Acts chapter 9. Look in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. The Bible says that Barnabas, however, took him, took Saul. And brought him to the apostles. The way that reads is like this. It's almost as though Saul is on the outskirts. The church is over here. Saul is over here because the church is afraid of Saul. So Barnabas goes, takes him, follow me, and brings him to the church. Almost like he led him by the hand. He took him and brought him to the church. And look at your Bibles. And and, and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord. On the road, and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Barnabas, the great encourager, is found encouraging yet again. He encouraged Saul by vouching for him, and he encouraged the church to accept Saul as a brother. Man, I want to be like Barnabas. He's my hero in the faith. He's a great encourager, leads by example helps others come to know Christ, encourages the church, encourages the people of God. And I bet Barnabas, he doesn't want an ounce of the glory, but he just points up to the cross. I want to be like Barnabas. I pray we have a church full of Barnabas. Barnabas is. Barnabas vouched for Saul and look at what happens next. Look in your Bible. Verse 28 the Bible says Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He, con- he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but bad thing happened. What was it? They tried to kill him. And look in your Bibles, you've got to see this for yourself. Verse 30. My, my Bible says, "When the who? Ah, when the brothers, something has changed. What changed? Saul was was looked at with suspicion. And then Barnabas grabs Saul and explains to the church who Saul is and that he's the real deal, he's legit. And now all of a sudden, Paul and the church, Saul and the church are brothers. (laughs) To God be the glory. They're brothers. Keep reading. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea, And sent him off to Tarsus. And through all of that, look at verse 31. This is the result. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. To God be the glory for a church that shares the gospel. To God be the glory for a church that follows the will of the Lord. To God be the glory, my friends. And the result, it increased in numbers. May that be us. May we be. You You know what the number one evangelistic tool in a church is? You. You are. People don't come to church to hear me. They don't come to church to hear the preacher. They come to church because you invite them. Because you build into their life. Because you work into their life. And you share and show Jesus. That's how the church grows. That's how the church grew here. It increased in numbers. Listen to me, fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord will always result in a growing church, both spiritually and numerically. Fear of man will always stifle the growth in a church. Fear of the Lord is a strong, growing church. When the church fears man, it's a cowardly, shrinking church. May we never fear men. May the church be filled with people like Saul who use their unique giftedness to share the gospel wherever they are and serve with the family. May the church be filled with people like Barnabas who encourages the saints. May we be that kind of church and may this church have a fear of the Lord even if the world hates us for it. Even if the world sees us as bitter, bigots, no good. May we hold forth the gospel truth to them in Christian love. We don't need to be jerks. We cannot be jerks. But we must be firm and resolute that this is God's word. And may the Lord hold fast to his word and strengthen us as a church. And here it is. May we forever remember that Sundays, this reminds us that heaven is real. Mondays reminds us that we're not there yet. And we've got work to do. And we get to work by serving Him wherever we are. And we remember that when opposition comes, that's part of it. And we get to work by serving Him with the church. In essence, here's what I want you to hear. May we be a church... That is all about Jesus, all the time. time. And all God's people said,